0: Welcome to the Bethesda Christian Church sermon of the week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit yourbcc.org or download our mobile app from the App Store. the altar, it's all because the blood of Jesus Christ that we have that we that we get results, right? The blood of the Lord Jesus. He sees us. He's mindful of us. He knows us, we should get to know him better, don't you think? Good morning, I'm Rob Susan. Some people call me Mr. Rob Susan if there's anyone under the age of 12 or 13. I see some kids waving over here. Some people call me Mr. Rob Susan, you can just call me Rob, it's fine too. But um, I'm privileged to be here uh, while our pastor gets a rest. It's okay for the pastor to get a rest, isn't it? We get to to see and hear a little bit more. We're, We're reading. We're going back to our yearly reading plan. We're going through chronologically. And this past week, we spent some time in 2 Kings, 2 Chronicles, and read a few of the Got started in a couple of the prophets and read a few of the prophets. Today we're going to spend some time in Isaiah. But first I want to tell you a little bit of something. What, um, before I came on staff here, I used to be a remodeling contractor. And often an interior decorator would come into the house and give her advice. And I worked in, uh, with this interior decorator for many, many years over the years. And she was very opinionated. And if you've ever had an interior decorator come to your house and tell you how things should be, uh, they usually are very opinionated. And usually you're like, wait, what? And then after you're like, whoa, yes, I love it, right? But to get there, the vision that they have sometimes is a little bit hard to swallow or a little bit hard to understand. But the interior decorator, we're standing in the living room one one day with uh, the homeowner and the homeowner was like, I think we should put a mirror up on this wall. And, and this is what the interior decorator said. I won't even consider hanging a mirror unless I know what it will be reflecting. So the, so the homeowner was like, whoa, well, what do you mean by that? I mean, I just wanted to see, I want to be able to see me, right? <laughs> That's what a mirror is for. But when it comes to interior design, when it comes to a mirror... The interior decorator said, no, no, no. And when I hang up a mirror on the wall, I wanna know what it's going to reflect, what you're going to see. Like, let's say that $20,000 piece of artwork on the other wall, I wanna be able to see that in the mirror as well. Or maybe that, maybe that, that, that beautiful view out on the lake, maybe we wanna put a mirror so that you can see the, mu- the, the lake from here and you can see the lake from there, looking in the mirror, right? So the homeowner had a very different perspective when it came to putting a mirror, hanging a mirror. So the question I have for us today is, what are we reflecting? So we'll start all the way back in Isaiah. The book of Isaiah, it's a nice big book. It's about 66 chapters. so It's not about, there is 66 chapters. So it's easy to find in your Bible. But if you have a uh, a device, just type Is one. It'll go right to it. Um, we'll be in Isaiah one five six. We'll be all all over the beginning of Isaiah. But um, the 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 man Isaiah uh, was a very interesting person. He lived in the eighth century B.C. So that puts him like seven sixty B.C. all the way out to Uh, 7 or 673 B.C. ish and whatever we figure though he was well educated and that he because so much of the poetry and the prose that was written in his book was well defined and some of the most beautiful poems in all the Bible. So he knew what he was doing when it came to that. In Isaiah we find the words of stern judgment but also coupled with words of hope pointing towards the Messiah that would come one day. In fact, many many New Testament writers, uh, including Jesus, quoted Isaiah frequently throughout their books and letters, and as did Jesus as well. So, as I said before, Isaiah um, was very, some people theorize that Isaiah may have even been part of the royal class because he had access to at least four kings throughout his ministry. And in in Isaiah 1 1 1, we we find this out that, that Isaiah had a connection with Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. And they were all kings of Judah. And it's interesting because Isaiah came into his ministry toward the very end of Uzziah, King Uzziah's reign in Judah. Now, if you aren't certain, Isaiah was a prophet during the time of the divided kingdom. After David, after Solomon, the, the kingdom of Israel divided into two, the northern And the southern kingdoms, the northern kingdom of Israel, the southern kingdom of Judah. And King Uzziah was the king of Judah, the southern kingdom. The southern kingdom of Judah was the one that lasted a little bit longer uh, in existence. It was not overtaken uh, first. But Uzziah was actually the third king in a line of good kings. They actually didn't finish very well, but they they all did what was, as the Bible calls, what was good or right in the eyes of the Lord. Uzziah was put into place. He was put in as a king when he was 16 years old, and he ruled for 52 years. And this is what 2 Chronicles says about King Uzziah. He did... What was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father Amaziah had done. He sought God during the days of Zechariah, who instructed him in the fear of God. As long as he sought the Lord, God gave him success. Now there's some good words to underline in your Bible right there. As long as he sought the Lord, God gave him success. Now, the thing about Uzziah, King Uzziah, it's interesting is, as I said, because of the kings before him and Uzziah's heart of wanting to follow the Lord, God brought prosperity to the kingdom of Judah. And in fact, something interesting, for for some reason, King Uzziah was a lover of the soil, so he was a successful farmer, and he had cattle that um, fed on very fertile hills. You, King Uzziah, during his reign, he moved out the borders of Judah. In fact, before King Uzziah was in charge, Judah was landlocked. It didn't have access to the Mediterranean Sea. But under Uzziah's reign, they pushed all the way and took Philistine cities and then established Uh, Judean cities so that they could have access to harbors, ports, and what happens when you have a connection to the sea? Prosperity comes, correct? So as, as God was blessing and giving Uzziah success, he was giving the nation of Judah success and prosperity, and not only was he successful in his military ventures, he, he, one reason he was successful is that he equipped his own soldiers, hundreds of thousands of soldiers, with their own armor. Apparently at that time, men were required to provide their own armor, their own weaponry, but King Uzziah was able to equip his army himself. And that gave that the army an incredible advantage. While King Uzziah additionally, and while King Uzziah was, was king, he fortified or built up the walls around Jerusalem, built towers. And the Bible says that King Uzziah created these inventions that were able to shoot arrows off of towers and fling huge stones to the enemies. So as King Uzziah became well known, the Bible says that he was well-known all the way to the borders of Egypt. And that's a long ways if you look on a map. So with this, with this prosperity, with this success that Uzziah had with his, with his military battles, what eventually came was peace and prosperity. But you may know from history what often comes when peace and prosperity is in a nation, often the people become arrogant. And the people become comfortable. And the people start to start to start thinking of themselves. And we see this fully come to light in 2 Chronicles 26. With what King Uzziah did in the temple. Now, first though, I want to read Second Chronicles, 26, starting verse 15. King Uzziah's fame spread far and wide, for he was greatly helped until he became powerful. But after Uzziah became powerful, his pride led to his downfall. And just as a reminder, or even to let you know if you didn't know this, when it comes to the temple, the temple, King Solomon's temple was in Jerusalem. And this was a massive, beautiful place. It was where the worship of God took place. It was where people brought their sacrifices throughout the year. But there were a few rules, actually. There were a lot of rules when it came to the temple. And especially, there was this outer court where everybody could come, all the Jewish people could come and bring their sacrifices, and the priest would sacrifice those um, and the blood, and they take the blood, and they do all, this, all sorts of different things um, with it. But the point is, the outer court was reserved for the common people of Israel, but as you approached the building, there was inside the building was called the holy place, and there were certain things that were there, like lampstands and tables for bread that had a special significance, and a an incense altar. There was a special, uh, special mixture of incenses that would be mixed and and uh, bring a sweet smell that, that God prescribed only to be done in this place. And the thing was, in this holy place, this room, that was probably a little bit, 35 feet wide roughly, and a little bit shorter than this space right here, only priests, people that were descendants of Aaron, which was Moses' brother, the Moses from the Ten Commandments and walking through the Red Sea and everything. So only the descendants of Aaron, the priests, were allowed to be in that holy place after they had been washed, after they were clean, they were allowed to be in this holy place. And inside that room was the most holy place, or also called the Holy of Holies. And this was a place that only one priest could go once a year because this was where the presence of God rested It was this place that God existed on earth in the holy of holies. But these priests tended to business within this big room of the holy place, not the most holy place, the holy place, and they're doing their thing. And one of the things was to maintain this altar of incense. But King Uzziah, burst into the holy, the, the holy place himself. He wasn't from the line of Aaron. He wasn't a priest. He wasn't clean, cleansed in some sort of special way. And the priests freak out. The, the, the high priest like runs in after him along with what the Bible says, 80 courageous other priests. Because remember, this was the king of Judah. And they're chased in after King Uzziah, and they're like, you can't do this. And they watch, watch him, and he's like about to light the incense. He's got it in his hand. And way back, hundreds of years ago, when Moses first introduced this whole idea with the tabernacle, this tent, two guys mixed up the, the incense wrong, and they were killed instantly, so these priests are like, what? Our king is about to die. He's crazy. They run in, they try and grab him out. You can't be in here. This is only for the, the people of Aaron. And he, he doesn't say, oh, that's right. I, I forgot. He, the Bible says he gets angry and he rages against the priests. And, and then as he's, as he's raging against the priests, about to light the incense, a patch of skin leprosy, an issue with his skin starts to break out on his forehead. And at that moment, the priests are like, <gasps> right? And they drag him out of the, of the holy room. And by this time, the king realizes too, because the room is like, who knows how he knew? Maybe he, was, he saw his reflection in some gold somewhere that's because this room was beautiful and lined with gold. And he's like, and the Bible says he's, he runs out too, because he realizes I'm in deep trouble. And in fact, King Uzziah was leprous or had this skin disease the rest of his life. Although he was the king still, he, had, he was afflicted with this leprosy and he was stuck with it because of his arrogance, because of his comfortability, because of what he thought was right to do. But what did he all of a sudden reflect? He reflected himself. He realized, I have a skin disease. What am I going to do? And he had to run from the presence of God. So I want you to just take a mental snapshot of that, that I tried to portray for you this, this experience, this, this, what, this view of what King Isaiah had when it came to the temple and the presence of God and his rage and his selfishness and his arrogance. And, and hopefully that will give you, an, give you a, a view into what was going on in the culture, what was going on with the people of Judah and Israel as a whole, really, Judah and Israel. And we're going to read in Isaiah chapter 1, Verses 11 through 15. Embrace yourself, because this is God speaking. The multitude of your sacrifices, what are they to me, says the Lord? I have more than enough of burnt offerings, of rams and the fat of fattened animals. I have no pleasure in the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. When you come to appear before me, who has asked you to do this? This trampling of my courts. Stop bringing meaningless offerings. Your incense is detestable to me. New moons and Sabbaths and convocations. I cannot bear your worthless assemblies. Your new moon feasts, And your appointed festivals, I hate with all my being. They have become a burden to me. I'm weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands in prayer, I hide my eyes from you. Even when you offer many prayers, I am not listening. Your hands are full of blood. Harsh words, aren't they? Terrifying, actually, to know that God is capable and willing to turn his head away from offerings, from from our worship. But you might say, and some say, well, I don't want to have a part of a God that's like that. Where's the love? What kind of a God turns his face away from his people? Because that's who he was talking to here. His chosen people. But God's done this throughout, throughout time, from the very beginning. If you remember Cain and Abel, Cain brought an offering and Abel brought an offering Abel was, Abel's offering was accepted, but Cain's wasn't. And although we didn't know at the time, we don't know as a reader if you're reading through Genesis, like what was like what's the big deal? We start to learn that when it comes to sacrifice, it it, it takes it takes the death of something. Abel understood that, but Cain didn't either. Didn't know or didn't care to know. And God said, no, this is not acceptable. That's what's going on here. The people of Judah and Israel were bringing their offerings, they were bringing their worship, and their heart was in the wrong place. Because obviously, as as God is speaking, he's, he's saying, he's describing them coming and bringing their offering, bringing their worship, coming before him, but... but apparently their heart wasn't in the right place. Who are we to say, who are we to say, but God knows the heart? Who were these people reflecting? Themselves. What they wanted. How do I know that? because Isaiah in the next few verses or in the next uh, chapter 5 starts to describe the people of Israel and Judah and what kind of people like what where they were in their culture like what type of people they were what were they doing and he starts to describe this these people who are building house upon a house like A house and then on top of another house and another house. And they're expanding their house and they're buying land like all around them and building up like acquiring land which is in and of itself is not improper. But when you do it at the expense of your poorer brother or sister, Because remember, the people of Israel, they were all related. They were of the same family. And God didn't like seeing this treatment of each other that way, just taking advantage of one person or another. And the rich were getting richer, and the poor were getting poorer. And this is what Isaiah and God said. Verse 15 Isaiah 5, verse 15. So people will be brought low, and everyone humbled the eyes of the arrogant humbled. But the Lord Almighty will be exalted by his justice, justice. and the holy God will be proved holy by his righteous acts. Then, then sheep will graze as in their own pasture. And listen to this. Lambs will feed among the ruins of the rich. (laughs) And then, and then Isaiah Speaks of the cynically unbelieving, people who were outright sinning and didn't care. Verse 18 Woe to those who draw sin along with the cords of deceit and wickedness as with cart ropes. They were, the picture that Isaiah's painting is like tying sin up to a cart. They're tying themselves to sin, they're they're binding themselves to sin like you would hook a horse up to a cart, and they're allowing the sin to run them, and then they're allowing themselves to just kind of do whatever they want to in the life of sin. To those who say, let God hurry. Let him hasten his work so we may see it. The plan of the Holy One of Israel, let it approach. Let it come into view so we may know it. At first read, you might think, oh wow, they're wanting to see like if they're doing right or what what God has for them no they're baiting God they're wanting him to prove that what they're doing is wrong pray that we never get to a place like that woe to those who call evil good and good evil who put darkness for light and light for darkness who put bitter for sweet And sweet for bitter right here the word for this is perversion which simply simply means taking a lie and twisting it to believe that it's true perversion means twisting and changing the meaning and that's what the people of Israel of Judah were doing they were twisting what was right and doing what they thought was they were doing wrong, but they talked themselves into believing that it was right. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and clever in their own sight. Conceit. They thought that they were better than God. Who were these people reflecting? Themselves. And when they're doing that, it's just darkness. There is no power in ourselves. They thought they were living right, and yet they were living very wrongly, especially, namely, in the eyes of God. God who at the beginning, he looked at darkness, or chaos, or this space, and he said, let there be light, and the darkness was pushed back. And God, over the next three days of creation, spent time separating things, because that's what kind of a God he is. He is loving, he is wonderful, he is, he loves us but he also has a nature of separation. There's darkness, he goes in, declares light, and now there's light and darkness. Well, how, how does that happen? Because God did it. Day two, he took the waters surrounding the earth, he pushed the waters down to the earth, and it was the lakes and seas and oceans, and then he pushed the waters to the sky, And it's the atmosphere. He separates. Day three, he takes the waters and he pulls the land up out of them and separates it. And he says, in Job, "Water, you stop right here." God is in the separating business, as He has done. Jesus showed someday God is going to what take the lambs, the sheep, and the goats. And he will put one to the right and one to the left. The sheep to the right, the goats to the left. Who wants to be a sheep? The sheep are the ones that, are, that are, will enjoy the blessing of the Lord. So what? Why am I spending so much time in Isaiah? This is like hundreds and hundreds, even thousands of years ago. What does that have to do with us? First, I feel like, and maybe you've already thought of this yourself, I think our culture is very, very close to a carbon copy of what was going on in Israel, in Judah. Everybody in our culture has their own idea of how things ought to be. You think what you want to. I'll think what I want to. No, we're not hurting anybody. Just let me be me, right? We hear this sort of thought in hundreds of different ways. But it's still all about me. And it's dangerous. Because arrogance leads to comfortability and it leads to destruction. It's what happened to the people of Judah. And we've got to check our hearts and the culture. And here's here's, here's the remedy, not the remedy yet. Let me illustrate it another way. I'm gonna read from 1 John. In the beginning was the word, Light, light, darkness. Safety, stumbling. Blessing, cursings. Life and death. Let me illustrate it another way. Maybe even something that you might be familiar with. I don't know if you've ever walked into a room or if you've been sitting in a room with your family and you just had breakfast and then you look up and it's 11.30 at night and you hear you have been all day long, right? And you're in this light and you look up and you realize you're not in the light at all. You're alone in the darkness. And so often we think even just with this one little example, we spend time here believing that we have significance, that we are liked, that we know things because of the light that comes from our devices, from our connection through the internet. But when it comes down to it, we realize we're all alone. If we're trying to rely on what happens here, so let me take this a little bit further. John 8:12. Now, Jesus shows up, Jesus shows up. And he's speaking with the people, and he, he, he puts this idea out, because actually Isaiah like he, Isaiah has talked about the light. The light has come, like, and this is the Messiah. He spoke of Jesus hundreds and hundreds of years prior, and he refers to him as a light in the world, a light in the darkness. And Jesus shows up, and then he starts saying, he is the light. So in verse 12 in John eight, he says, when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Remember what I said? Darkness, death, Light, life. Goodness, evil. It's what the people of Israel were doing. They were living their life believing that they were living a a life of, of goodness, of blessing, when instead they had ahead of them cursing and death. And one more scripture to bring this out as far as the light is in Matthew 5, verse 14. You, you are the light of the world. Jesus is now speaking to a crowd of people and, in fact, in the first two minutes of his, the famous Sermon on the Mount, where he lays out a whole bunch of things when it has to do with living a life that God calls us to live, he gives us the Beatitudes, and immediately after the Beatitudes, he says, he starts to tell the people, you're, a, you're salt. You're salt of the world. You bring flavor to the world. You help preserve the world. This is what salt does: brings flavor and preserves things. So the people would sort of understand it, realizing, well, okay, whoa, how are we salt? But then Jesus immediately goes into this thing. Not only are you salt; you're light. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill can't be hidden. Neither do people uh, put. Neither do people light a lamp and then put it under a bowl. Does that make sense? No. Why would you light a lamp in the first place then? Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So I have something to illustrate this notion of letting your light shine. Because I've been asking throughout this, what are we reflecting? And I think that's an important question we, all, we need to all ask ourselves. So, at this moment, lights. Let there be light. I'm going to ask my mirror bearers where they're all supposed to be. And each of them, as they're Tuning in their mirrors. Oh, man. Focus on the light, not me. Forgot my Bible. As they're focusing their beams throughout. throughout the room, I want to make a point. And the point is, at the back crossover aisle is our pastor, Pastor Pat. The light in the ceiling represents the light of the world, who is is Jesus. Thank you. I'm glad that the lights being off didn't put everybody to sleep. So the light on the ceiling represents Jesus, and his pastor is back at the crossover aisle. He's holding his mirror very carefully, very still, and shining it to my friend Fred Swartz up in the gallery. Because as our pastor, he's our first and foremost line of of shiningness as he stands in the pulpit every Sunday morning, teaching us about Jesus and how we're to live, right? But as he does that, he passes the light on to people of the congregation. And our friend Fred is over there and he's holding his mirror very still. I'm, and I've got a light on me too, and that's kind of cool. But, but Fred's shining his light all the way to his son in the other gallery, Ethan. And with Ethan is, is my son, Grant, who are friends. Because that's what we're called to do, is first. One of the things is, as fathers, as parents, as uh, moms and dads, we're called to pass the light of our faith down to our children, right? And as we do that, as grandparents, as parents, that's what we ought to do. And and as Ethan and Grant are holding that, because often friends, that's what friends are called to do: is pass that light on to one another. And and then as they shine, because sometimes sons can lead fathers, right? And can be, shine lights for fathers as well. And that's what I'm going to do now. And when I take this, my mirror, I'm going to ask Nicole to read something from the Bible. But I have to find it for her first to make sure that she's reading in the right spot. Thank you. And I'm going to take this light and I'm going to shine it on the Word of God. People, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises
1: of Him who called you out of darkness into His wonderful light.
0: Woo! Out of darkness and into His wonderful light. Isn't it wonderful? That's how it should be. Thank you, everybody. Mirror, mirror people. Before the light comes back on, I'm going to hop back up here, save some time, and I'm going to keep on reading. Thanks, Mir. Everybody, everybody give our Mir people a big round of applause. <laughs> Nicole, I could not see the writing in the Bible until what? The light was shined by someone who was close to her. Something interesting also about these, all these mirrors and the distance sometimes is that you might have noticed how difficult it was, or maybe you didn't, but it, is, it was difficult for each of the, my mirror people to hold those mirrors as still as possible. But what would happen if somebody would come along and start trying to distract distracted or was being negative, or trying to pull the person away that was holding the mirrors? What would have happened if someone went to Fred and started shaking him and and asking him a question and and bothering him and, and and bringing him down one way or another? He would get distracted and the light would be misdirected. Or maybe he would miss the light altogether. And what would happen then? His son wouldn't find out what the light is all about, and I wouldn't be able to pass it on to the next person and the next person. How important is it for us to be focused on what the light is all about, who Jesus is, what he's called us to do, and what his message is for each and every one of us? Am I right? Are you with me? I'm going to keep on reading that scripture in 2 Peter, or 1 Peter, I'm sorry, into his wonderful life. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. So when we say pagan, that just means someone who's not connected to Jehovah, someone who's not connected to Jesus. It doesn't matter what religion they follow, if it's not following Jesus, if it's not following what God has, has for them, they're a pagan. We don't want to go around calling everybody in the mall a pagan, though. I, that is not good. That's not appropriate. That won't lead anybody to Jesus. That won't be shining your light anywhere. But the point is, if we're living in a pagan society, which we basically are, Peter's prescription for us is to shine our light among men so that they can see it and even if they're like you guys are doing wrong you're great you guys are crazy they still are going to see there's a different thing about us that that will someday glorify not us god when god comes back so do you accept the challenge? Do you accept the challenge to reflect the light of Christ throughout this pagan, this, this pagan world? Do you accept that challenge? What would happen if any of these mirrors got dirty? got a whole smear of mud on it or broke how effective would their mirror be how would they be how well would they be able to transmit the light of Jesus from one person to another to another it would be much it would be very difficult but we've got to work on keeping our mirror clean as well So here's what I asked: What's our motivation? Or I said another way, What, what powers the light from Christ? What powers, what keeps that going? What, where, does it, where does it come from? And you know, we had a very powerful spotlight that moves that we're able to move all over in here, and it was able to transmit that light there, there, there. But as time goes on, as it, the, that light transmitted, it got dimmer and dimmer. So we've got to we've got to learn how to be connected instead of relying on one, two, three, four people. What if we were to connect directly to the source? What if we were to aim our mirror to be able to catch Jesus is light, not just the light that comes through us and through it to other people. What if we were able to connect it to other people? And here's, I mean, to Jesus, connect directly to Jesus. And this is what I'm gonna encourage you to do. And we're gonna, I'm gonna read from, in a minute, not in a minute, right now, Isaiah 6. And in fact, the song we sang today, Revelation song, these are the words that we are heard. So some of this, some of this is gonna be familiar. But here's our motivation. Because in Isaiah, Isaiah 6, immediately after God describes how he's gonna eventually be busting everybody's heads and tearing down Judah and Israel, we're met with this vision that Isaiah has. Isaiah has this vision that's described in in chapter six of Isaiah. And here's what it says. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Pause. Remember the temple. The temple that Isaiah would have been familiar with was Solomon's temple, the very, same t- the very same temple that King Uzziah would have, or was caught trying to burn his own incense, okay? Above him were seraphim. These were angels, each with six wings. With two, they covered their faces, with two, they covered their feet, and with two, they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is filled of his, with his glory. And at the sound of their voices, at the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the thresholds shook and the temple was filled with smoke. And this is what Isaiah said. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. And then one of the seraphim flew down to me, and with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar, with it he touched my mouth, and he said, See, this is has touched your lips your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for and then i heard the voice of the lord saying whom shall i send and who will go for us and isaiah said here i am send me So a couple of things to note here. The angels did not say loving, loving, loving is the Lord God Almighty. They, they, he did not say just, just, just is the Lord God. That he did not say righteous, righteous, righteous. They did not say any of these attributes that we're familiar with God. He is all of those things. Just, he's righteous, he's loving. We depend on that, but they said holy, 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 and in Hebrew literature, as they write this stuff out, they didn't have italics, they didn't have bold printing, they didn't have underline um, like we have now. If we want to send an email and it's very very important that this little bit of information is, is seen and read, we will put it in bold, we will also put it in italics, we'll put it underlined, right? So instead of doing all that in Hebrew writing, they repeat things. And if it's really, really important, if it's really key, they'll they'll bring it forward three times. It's what the angels are saying, holy, holy, holy. And so what does holy mean? Like we say that all the time. We like sing it. We talk about God's holiness. But what is it exactly? Holiness is a a uniqueness, a separated, pulled apart quality that God has and that he is different from anything there is in the universe. And the angels are recognizing it and they're acknowledging it they're declaring it and Isaiah sees it when Isaiah got into the presence of God he saw his glory and he saw God's holiness and from holiness his holiness comes everything else his love comes from his holiness his righteousness comes from his holiness his glory comes from his holiness his Justice comes from his holiness. They all point back to his holiness. And Isaiah saw this and realized it. And what did he say? I'm a mess. I shouldn't even be here. And yet, because he realized his need for God, God saw that and cleansed his lips, cleansed him so that he might be able to Stand in God's presence. Contrast that with with King Uzziah. King Uzziah just storms right into the the holy place. And could you just hear the things that he was saying as the priests were trying to pull him out? Like, I can do this myself. I'm I, I, I can I can do anything I want. It doesn't affect anyone else. What's a big what's the big deal? You can't tell me what to do. I'm the king. It's my right to be here. Everything was a wisdom in his own eyes. He didn't see God's glory. He didn't see his holiness. He didn't see there was a reason why the priests were the only ones allowed to be in there. He didn't realize there were certain rules, why, things, why the king can't just march right in there. And he paid for it. We've got to recognize that though we live in a dark, dark culture, we aren't dark. We can be light in this dark culture. We come, we have an opportunity. Actually, every, every day we wake up, we have the opportunity to decide what we're going to reflect. Are we going to reflect the light? And I know everybody's like going, oh, oh, oh. Yes, sometimes the light of Christ is blinding. Sometimes to the people around us, it shows them that what they're doing is not right. Sometimes the light of Christ, and I've said this before, sometimes the light of Christ, sometimes the word of God, which is Christ living, is a mirror, not for other people, but for us. For us to see, oh, wow, I'm a mess. I gotta get this straight, I gotta get that straight. How am I gonna, how am I gonna be a light to my spouse? to my kids, to my neighbors, to my co-workers, when I'm a mess. That's what happened to Isaiah. He realized, woe is me. I'm a mess. And so are my people. But God cleansed his lips, cleansed his heart, and made him, made him, prepared him for what he had for him. Four things I want, I'm going to quickly go over four steps. And they came right out of Isaiah 6. First, this is the remedy for if we look at ourselves and we're like, I'm a mess. Maybe this is the first time you've ever heard of anything. Maybe it's the first time you've ever been in church today. Someone brought you here. Someone, you're like, come to this place. We sing songs and talk about God. So... You're here and you're like, what is this holiness? What is this God stuff? Why are people raising their hands? Maybe this is the first time you've ever experienced anything like this. God can meet you wherever you are, clean your mirror, and make you a worker, a, a mirror, a reflector of him. So if you want that, or if you maybe maybe you do this every day, maybe maybe, maybe you're good. But what I'm suggesting here to do, and we're gonna we're gonna sing um, we're gonna sing, "You Are Holy." And what I'm gonna suggest to you is four points as we step closer to God, and it's what it's what Isaiah did. First, he stepped into the Holy One's presence. Step closer to him. If you you know God, step closer. Then look upon the king. What is it about God that is unique? Look upon him. See his holiness. Then cry out to the Lord Almighty like Isaiah did. Lord, I'm a mess. Help me. Clean me. And then listen to the voice of the Lord. Because the voice of the Lord, God called Isaiah and he said, who am I going to send? And Isaiah said, here am I. Send me. So God is willing to empower you. And this is what we're going to do today. I know this is our, our typical healing sunday where you can God can heal any day of the week. God can heal any Sunday. But this is a, a morning, a day of the month that we focus on this. But what I want to encourage you to do right now as we sing this song, we'll ask you to stand up and don't bring any of your needs to the altar right away. Instead, step into the presence of the Lord. If, if you need to come to the altar and, and to, to, to approach the Lord God, do it. If you can do that at your seat, but I'm just, don't bring any needs, no health issues, no financial issues right now. Just be in the presence of of God and see what he will reveal to you. Isaiah saw the Lord lifted up. We we don't spend time. So often we're in such a rush to get from one place to another. Let's just spend time in the presence of the Lord God will reflect His light through you when you realize how holy He is. And then you can be a light to those around you. So let's stand. team's going to keep on singing and leading us. Yeah, the, the lights over the altars they're, op- they're on and it's just the lights because it's an opportunity for you to step into the light. whether you do it, whether you have a need or whether you just want to get closer to the, to the God of the universe, the Holy One, unique pure, set apart, you want part of that, step into the light, and when you do, your needs are suddenly, suddenly not so important anymore, but whether you're needy or not, whether you have issues or not, whether you have, whether you're healed or not, you can still be a light. In fact, sometimes God uses your issues to be a light to other people. That's what God is able to do. God turns things that are dark into light. There is no such thing. as a situation for those who are walking with Jesus, God can use every awful situation for his good, for our good. But it's all because we step into the light because we recognize his holiness. And we, are, we allow ourselves to be used by him. We've got to be willing to share our light to the people around us. But, some, but we can't do it unless we're unclean, unless we're focused on ourselves, unless we've got to put all that stuff aside. You know, last week we were up north, and there was power outages all around the lake. <laughs> and people were out of power for days. It was so interesting, we were sitting around the fire, and we had power, but then we looked... We suddenly didn't have power. It wasn't a storm. It was just people using their air conditioners and so many people up there, they're just causing the grid to to fail. But when we realized the power was out, we looked around, we looked down the road, we took a little walk and we saw that there were bonfires in front of people's cottages. And those houses were out of power. But what happened, the people from the neighborhoods, they gathered around the light. The fires, the bonfires that were in front of each of the cottages were were people gathering around the light. In church, if we're not reflecting the light, where is the culture going to gather? They're going to run around screaming and saying, what's going to happen? Or they'll be in terror. Or they'll make their own light, artificial light. But the only light that is saving, the saving light of Jesus comes from Jesus, comes from his holiness, the light that we can reflect, that we can show others the way. going to open up the altars, and if you do want prayer, elders will be here at the altars. They'll also be at the crossovers. We're going to close this out in prayer. I want to pray for the people online. I know there's people watching right now all over. People vacationing. And we're going to keep on praying. This is an opportunity for you to not just step into the light, but then bring your needs. Whether you feel like you are unclean. Whether you need, there's something else hindering you from shining your light somewhere. Now is the time to bring it to the Lord. Dear Lord God, we thank you. We thank you for the light. You, We thank you for your son Jesus, that's the light of the world. And we thank you for the privilege that we have to be the light. We pray in the name of Jesus that you empower us through your Holy Spirit to be lights In a dark world who are we reflecting we ask Lord Jesus let it be you let it be you that we are reflecting let it be your light for those who are watching online I want to bless each and every one of you if you have a need want to bring that to the Lord as well Lord God I pray in the name of Jesus that you touch all of the people in this room and across the world who might be listening and hearing your voice, calling them to be clean, to be a reflection of you. I pray in the name of Jesus that you empower us all. Amen.